Well, good morning. What a great morning to come and to worship our God and to give praise back to Him. So excited about today. And last week we began a brand new series called Church Works. And I'm so excited about this series because I have to tell you, I love God's church. I love seeing what God does in and through his church for his name and for his glory in our day and our generation. There's just nothing like it. You know, you see the church is the vehicle by which God accomplishes his work in the world. And that's the way God uses his church. The church is the hands and the feet of Christ. And so I get excited as we talk about the church and how church works and how we're called to be a part of this community of believers, how we're called to grow and deepen our faith on our journey as we lock arms together and as we serve the Lord together. Now there's some people who come along and they say, well, you know, I really like Jesus, but I don't know about the church. And you're kind of going, well, uh, the church is the bride of Christ, okay? So that's like saying, I like you, but I'm not sure about your wife, you know? I mean, (laughs) they go together. It's a package deal. I mean, that's just the way it kind of works. It's, it's, It's Jesus and the bride. It's the church. And the church isn't perfect. The church is made up of us. We're all fallible. We make mistakes. But the church is the body of Christ, Some people say, well, I want to be a Christian, but I don't want to be a part of a church. Really? Wow. I mean, that's like saying I want to be a soldier, but I want to be in the army. Good luck with that, you know? I want to be a football player, but I don't want to be on a football team. Okay, good luck. I mean, you know, it goes together. The church is called to be the hands and the feet of Christ. And so as we dive into this series, I'm excited about it. Because what God's teaching us and the way that God has called us to be a part of His church his church in our day, in our generation. Many of us are taking a next step in our faith journey. And a couple of weeks ago, we, we called everybody to say, hey, let's go deeper in our faith. Many of us are reading the Word of God together. You know, we're reading through our daily step, our Bible reading plan. And if you're not there yet, I'd love to encourage you to jump on board and be a part of reading through the entire Bible in the next 24 months. And many people have committed to be baptized or, or to worship one, serve one, or to go on a mission trip. But we take those individual steps. But the great part is this. We do it together, you know, and we have the encouragement of one another. We have the accountability of one another, that we're not in this thing alone, that God has given us the gift of community, and God has given us the gift of his church. I grew up in a great church. I was so blessed. I grew up in San Antonio, Texas, had a wonderful church, had a great preschool, children's, student ministry. I learned so much from the church. And I got to tell you, we are a part of something special here at Rolling Hills. I mean, God's hand is on his church. And we get to be a part of what he's doing in our generation. And I'm excited about it. So, if you have a Bible with you this morning, I invite you up with me to the book of Titus. Titus. Now, Titus, New Testament, short, short letter. But man, it is so deep and it's so rich. So, Titus, we're going to be in Titus chapter 1 today. We began this new series last week. If you don't have a Bible with you, maybe you have a mobile device. You can access the scriptures online. You can follow along with us at Uversion. Uh, also take notes there. or We'll put the scriptures on the screen so you can follow along as well. Uh, but what we saw last week is this, is that the Apostle Paul, he had been on three missionary journeys. He was then imprisoned in Rome. And he got out of prison, but he knew his time was short. He knew that, I mean, he doesn't have a lot of time left. And so he writes this First and Second Timothy, and then he writes Titus, to two of kind of his young protégés, to two of the people that he's been mentoring. And he left Timothy at Ephesus, and he puts Titus at Crete. And the church was just growing, it was exciting, it was dynamic, God was moving, God was working. And so he says to Titus, here's the first thing I want you to do. I I want you to, I want you to appoint leaders. Call out lay leaders to lead the church. 
And the beautiful part is this, is that every person through Christ is a minister and essential to the body of believers. And so Paul says to Titus, hey, number one thing is you look at church works and how the church works is you lift the hood, you call out leaders. The fact is this, that all of us through Christ, when you give your heart and your life to Jesus Christ, God places his Holy Spirit within you and you have this calling You have this calling to use the gifts God has given you for his name and for his glory. That's how the church works. It's first and foremost through leadership. All of us bonded together through the call of Christ as Jesus unites our hearts. But we serve and use our gifts for the glory of God. And so he calls Titus here to appoint leaders. And he says, here's the qualifications of leaders in the church, of lay leaders. One, that they're followers of Jesus that they have a passionate heart for Jesus. He says they're blameless. Now, none of us are blameless, right? We've all blown it. We've all made mistakes. I mean, right here. I mean, we, we all have. But by God's grace, when God looks at us, because of the blood that was shed through Jesus Christ, he doesn't see our sin. He sees us as blameless. Oh, praise be to God. So first of all, that we have this growing relationship with Christ. Secondly, he says, hey, leadership begins at home. He says, you've got to be able to manage your family well. You've got to be able to be the husband of but one wife, you know. And how are you in your marriage or if you want to be married one day? Some people say, well, does this disqualify people who are single? No. Paul was single. Jesus was single, okay. You know, I mean, come on. But what it means is leadership begins at home first. And you and I in our marriage or our future marriage, you and I with our kids, how are we leading how are we leading them deeper in the faith and deeper in their journey and their own spiritual walk? And then we lead in God's church. The third thing he talked about was personal character or integrity in our lives because we're representing Christ, because we're representing the church. And then he talked about that they're faithful, right? That they're committed to what God is doing in the body of believers. And they're growing together. So he says, call out leadership. And we said last week that leadership in ministry is always based on service, Leadership isn't a hierarchy that one day I'll be in this position or one day I'll get this, you know, great deal. It's, it's that I serve. I serve. Jesus said I've come not to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. So Paul says first thing is leadership. Then the second thing he comes back to, what we're going to see today, is this. He comes back to doctrine. Doctrine. Look at verse 9. Pick up there. It's where we left off last week. He said he must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught so he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. Now what is doctrine? Well doctrine, if you go to the dictionary, it says this, you know, it's the ideas or beliefs held by a church, an organization, or a government. The ideas or beliefs held by a church or an organization or a government. You know what Paul is saying? This is sound doctrine. (laughs) And Apostle Paul always comes back to the Word of God. He says, it's the Word of God. Titus, be sure that people are growing in the Word. Be sure that they know the truth. Be sure that they're digging into Scripture. That's how they're going to mature. That's how they're going to grow. That's how the church will thrive when you come back to the Word. To the Word. And this beautiful picture of sound doctrine. Now, sound doctrine is this phrase that's used eight times in First and Second Timothy and in Titus. It's something that the Apostle Paul was trying to drive to Timothy, to drive to Titus and say, guys, get this. God has given us his word. 
And as people dig into it, the church will grow and the church will thrive and their lives will be transformed as well. So come back. It says it's powerful for encouragement, encouraging one another, and also refuting those who oppose it. So if there's any heresies that are out there, you come back to the word. Okay, let's keep going in verse 10. Paul says there's three things right about the word of God. First of all, he says it's an anchor for the changing culture. For there are many rebellious people, mere talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision group. They must be silenced because they are ruining whole households by teaching things they ought not to teach, and that for the sake of dishonest gain. Even one of their own prophets has said, Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, lazy gluttons. <laughs> Thank you if your own prophet called you a, you know, a liar, evil brute, and lazy glutton. Man, that's a, a pretty big... Uh, Man, slap in the face. But see, Titus was ministering in a really secularized culture. He was there in Crete. And the Cretans were known for being people who were just like party animals, man. They just kind of lived it up. That was their lifestyle and everything kind of revolved around that. And, and what you find, man, when left to ourselves, man will always go after dishonest gain or pleasure, right? After gain or pleasure. It, it's just the way we're wired. It's the sin nature in us. And so Titus is ministering in a culture that was all about, you know, the gain or the pleasure. Living life, right? Man, big time. In, in our world today, we call that moral relativism. Moral relativism. It was Nietzsche who said, you know, what's right for me may not be right for you, and what's right for you may not be right for me, and therefore, there's no right. Now, there's no right. Now, take that out to its logical conclusion. If there is no right, then that means it's total chaos, right? Because it may be okay for you to steal, or it may be okay for you to lie, or it may be okay for you to kill somebody, but it's not a right for me. And so what happens is just society just does this rapid downward spiral into chaos. And so the Apostle Paul comes back to Titus and says, no, 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 listen, God has told us how to live. God has told us what works. And this is the anchor that you hold on to. It's the word of God. It's the anchor in the midst of a changing culture. It's the anchor that holds us together. A couple of years ago, Lisa uh, bought some bookshelves. And she, we went down and we picked them up and they were in these four big boxes. And loading them into the van, I'm thinking, oh, this isn't going to be good, you know. Because it had those little words written on it. Some assembly required, okay? I hate those words, right? Because what that means is really this is going to cost you seven to nine hours of your life and a lot of emotional stress. I mean, really, because I just knew this was going to be bad. But the good thing was that it had a picture, okay? So that was great. So, so we get them home, we lug them upstairs, we got it all laid out, you know, and Lisa's like, here are the instructions. I'm like, yeah, okay, I got this. You know, because I'm a guy, right? You know, and so I was just like, I'm just going to take it. I'm going to go after it. There's a picture. I can figure this out. It's just a big jigsaw puzzle. So, so we start putting it together. We're going, and it's not coming out exactly right. But, you know, I'm making progress, and I'm getting there. I'm getting there. Lisa comes upstairs, and she looks, and I've got all these parts left over. You know, and she's just shaking her head. And she drew the line when I pulled out the duct tape. You know, I was like, okay, we can fix this. And she's like, we're not doing duct tape on my bookshelves. I'm like, but it'll work, babe. I'm telling you, you know. So, but she said, no, no, no. And so I go, okay. So we go back and we get the instructions. And I'm like, oh, this is where that part goes. That makes sense. You know, this is where that part goes. And so we go back and we fit it together. And you know what? You think about it. That's what the word of God is. I mean, God created life. 
God created you. God created me. God created community. And God has said, here's how it works. And all the time we're like, yeah, 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 whatever. <laughs> I'll do it. I'll figure it out as a culture, as a society. We'll figure it out. We'll do what we want to. Whatever feels good for me. It's got to be right. And God's going, hello. <laughs> I wrote it down for you. I put it right here. G.K. Chesterton, one of my favorite theologians, who's a Christian theologian, he's just so wise and funny, but he was asked one time, he was on a panel with three other authors, and they said, if you were stranded on a desert island, and you could only have one book, what would it be? You're stranded on a desert island. You know, think about it. What would, what would, one book would you want? Well, the first author said, I would like the complete works of William Shakespeare. And they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, you know, I got plenty of time, I'll just read, it'll be great, you know. The second author said, I want the Bible. And everybody's like, Yes, that's it, right? It's the Bible. Well, G.K. Chesterton said, I want Thomas's Guide to Practical Shipbuilding. <laughs> like, I don't want to stay on this island. I want to know how to get off this island, you know? And I thought about that. I'm like, yes, that's why God's Word is so practical. Have you ever read God's Word? You're just like, oh, that makes sense. That, that, that fits. That's how life works. That's why I want to be in heaven one day. That's why there will be no more pain and no more suffering. But things make sense down here. And God says, here's the word. Here's the word. And so Paul's writing to Timothy. He says, Timothy, listen, know it. And he writes to Titus. He says, Titus, come on, sound doctrine. Get it. Teach the people about the word of God because the word of God is powerful. Look what it says in the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 4, pick up at verse 12. It says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. There's a lot of times people will come on Sundays and they'll say, Man, Jeff, it's like you were just reading my mail. I mean, you knew exactly what was going on in my life. And I'm like, it's not me. <laughs> it's the word of God. Because the Word of God is living and active. The Word of God penetrates. The Word of God, man, it speaks to us. How many times have you been going through a difficult time and you open the Bible and you read a passage, you're like, wow. I mean, it's like God just knew exactly what was going on in my life. And God's like, yeah, I do. You know, I know exactly what's going on. In fact, it keeps going. It says, nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes to him to whom we must give account. God's word is alive. God's word is active. God's word is moving. You see, that's why God's word transcends generations. Have you ever thought about that? I mean, how many languages and cultures and generations, and yet the word of God, I mean, it's so perfect every time because it's alive. It's active. George Barna did a survey, and, and in his survey, like a majority of Americans said that they make their moral choices based on the Bible. They make their moral choices based on Scripture. But then he also came back and he did the survey, and the problem was that not a lot of people knew exactly what was in Scripture. Statistically, people were biblically illiterate. They were like, uh, you're making your choices based on, but do you know what the Bible says? Do you know what God's word says? And the scary part was the younger the person, the less they knew about the Bible. 
See, if you're a parent or a grandparent or you want to be a parent one day, the number one responsibility that we have is to teach our children God's Word, to raise them in God's Word, to let them know God's Word. And that's where the church and and parents, we partner together. I mean, that's what's happening right now in preschool and children and student ministry. We're partnering together to raise up a generation who knows the Word of God, who lives by the Word of God. And a lot of people go, well, is the Bible really relevant today? I mean, really, I mean, you know, it was written 2,000 years ago, some of it 2,500 to 3,000 years ago. Is it really relevant today? Yes. That's why it's alive. It's active. It's moving. Because it's the Word of God speaking to us. And some people point and they say, well, you know, I mean, like the Bible says, you know, don't have sex outside of marriage. I mean, come on, how outdated is that? I mean, really? That, <laughs> that is so old school. But think about this. What if everybody did that? I mean, just for a moment, just think about this. Well, what, if, what if really it was a law and everybody followed that, that people didn't have sex outside of marriage? Just, you know what that would mean? And no more rape? No more child molestation? No more sexual predators? And no more people having to do drugs to deal with the past sexual abuse? No more people repeating the pattern of sexual abuse that happened in their family? Wow. You see, God's word, it's powerful. I mean, whether we want to follow it or not, whether we don't want to follow the instructions and want to try to do life on our own or as a society, try to figure out life on our own without God. But the fact of the matter is this. God's word is true. And God's word is relevant. And God's word is powerful. I mean, that's why the the pilgrims came over to this land, right? Right? Seeking religious freedom, seeking to establish a society based on the word of God. And you think God is blessed and we have prospered? But is the word still the foundation for us? Because it is the anchor of the soul and the anchor of a culture. It's also number two, look, it's the foundation of the church. It's the foundation of the church. He keeps coming back here and he comes to um, verse 13 or verse 12. He says, this testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply. Now, who's he talking about rebuking? He's talking about people who had the circumcision group or the Jewish myths. And, and what he was talking about was people who, who said, you know, hey, you have to have food sacrificed to idols. You can't eat that or you can't eat this. Or if you're going to be a part of the church, he says, hey, wait a minute, wait a minute. Come back to the word of God. Rebuke them sharply so that they will be sound in the faith and will pay no attention to Jewish myths or to the commands of those who reject the truth. To the pure, all things are pure. But to those who are corrupted and do not believe, nothing is pure. In fact, both their minds and their consciousness are corrupted. They claim to know God, but by their actions they deny him. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for doing anything good. So Paul's words are pretty harsh, but what's he saying? He's saying if anybody comes in from outside and says, you know what, I want to teach something that's not in line with Scripture, you go, no, 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 no. It all comes back to the Word of God. This becomes the doctrinal standard. This becomes the the belief for the man or the woman in the church. 
And there were people back then saying, hey, you have to do this if you're going to be in the church. You have to do this if you're going to follow God. You have to do this or you don't do that. It became about rules and religion. And, and Paul's going, no, no, no. It's about a relationship. A relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ, the centrality of Christ to God's church, that Christ is the cornerstone of the church and the foundation for the church is the word of God. Christ and the word that go together. And for you and I to know Christ and to grow in our relationship with God comes through his word and through his truth it becomes the foundation. Here's what the Apostle Paul wrote over to Timothy. And Timothy, he was writing to him in Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14. He says, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you've learned it, and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures which were able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So Timothy, we know this, Timothy was raised by his mom, his grandmother, Lois and Eunice. Oh, those are great names, right? And it tells us 2 Timothy chapter 1 or verse 5, Lois and Eunice, and they raised Timothy, and they raised him in the word. They raised him in the truth. And they taught him the scriptures from a very young age. I'm blessed to have parents and grandparents who, who said that the word of God was important. I'm blessed to have grown up in a Christian home where, where people said, hey, Jeff, we want to teach you the word from infancy. I'm blessed to have had a great you know, preschool and children's student ministry where, where, man, people taught the word of God. And Timothy was like that. And he says, continue on in the word. Continue on in the scriptures because they were able to make you wise for faith in Christ Jesus. The scriptures lead us to Christ. Then look at verse 16. He says, all scripture is God-breathed. All scripture. And not just the scripture we like, or not just the scripture that's our favorite passage, or not just the scripture that we know. All scripture, all 66 books, all scripture is God-breathed. Now, I love that phrase because you think about this. That means inspired, the inspired word of God. God-breathed. The Bible's not just a good book. I mean, it is a good book, but it is alive, it's active, it's God-breathed. The, the Bible, if you know this, was written over a span of a thousand years. It was written by people who didn't even know each other. It was written by kings and shepherds, prophets and priests. It was written by people who were educated and other people who were uneducated. And yet, over this thousand-year period, there is a consistent theme of God's grace, of God's redemption. There's a theme of God's sending his son, the Messiah, the salvation of the world. Now the probability of that happening and it being consistent and all of it fitting together, I mean the probability is astronomical. But in all scripture is God breathed. That God put this together. God said this is the foundation for the church. God said this is the foundation for your life. And then he says it's useful for four things, right? Teaching, what we're doing here, rebuking, Outside heresies that come into the church, you can rebuke those. Correcting, if your life kind of starts to drift away from God, you come back to the center, you come back to say, hey, I've got to have a correction in my life. And training in righteousness. Training, raising up the next generation, helping people to know and to grow. Why? So that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So that you and I can do what God has called us to do. That you and I can lead and to serve and to minister and to love and to be the parents or the grandparents or the, or the friends or the neighbors or the coworkers that God's called us to be. God said, I want you to know the word and I want you to live the word. 
500 years ago, something remarkable happened. It was called the Reformation. The Reformation. And, and see, the church had drifted away from the Word of God. Back then, the church had become about rules and rituals, and, and it just kind of slowly drifted away. And God raised up some people, like John Calvin and, and Zwingli and John Huss and, you know, Wycliffe and Tyndall and these people, but there was a guy named Martin Luther. On October 31st, 1517, Martin Luther went and nailed the 95 Thesis to the Wittenberg door in Germany. Now, this was revolutionary. Why? Because back then, the Word of God was really just in the hands of the priests. So you would come to church, right, and the, and the priests would say in Latin, most people didn't even speak it, but they would say it, and, and people would say, oh, okay, right, and then they would go off to live their life, but they didn't know the Word. And so the whole Reformation centered on getting the Word of God into people's hands. And the 95 Theses were saying, this is where the church has drifted away from the Word of God. We've got to come back to the Word. Martin Luther spent his time translating from the Greek and the Hebrew into German so that people could know the word and live the word. See, we're blessed that we have the word of God in our hands. We're blessed that we can read the word and know what God's word says. Well, in 1521, Martin Luther was called into question and went to what was called the Diet of Worms. Now, diet doesn't mean like you're eating worms all the time. You know, diet means that was a formal meeting. So he was called to come there, and, and he thought it was going in worms that was in Germany. He thought he was going there to present his argument and why the church had strayed from the Word of God. But when he got there, it was really, I mean, it was, they called him to recant, and if he didn't recant, they were going to kill him. You know, it was basically, hey, you're on trial because you're saying that the Word of God is more important than the teachings of the church that have happened. And here's what Martin Luther said, and this is so powerful. Before Charles V, the Holy Roman Emperor, and everybody, Martin Luther stood up and he said these words. Unless I am convinced by the testimony of the Scriptures, unless I am convinced by the testimony of the Scriptures or by clear reason, for I do not trust either in the Pope or in the councils alone, since it is well known that they have often erred and contradicted themselves. I am bound by the scriptures I have quoted, and my conscience is captive to the word of God. I cannot and will not recant anything, since it is neither safe nor right to go against conscience. Here I stand. I can do no other. May God help me. Amen. And Martin Luther, man, he just put this line in the sand saying, I'm standing for the word. I'm standing for for the truth. Wow. You know how many people have died so that you and I could have the word of God? You know how many people have laid down their lives so that you and I could have the word in our hands? I, I want to tell you, church, if I ever, ever, ever say anything that contradicts the word, I'm wrong. I, I mean, I am, because this is the foundation. This is God's message. This is God's heartbeat for you and for me. And the church back then just kind of drifted away, right? And they missed it. It became about selling indulgences. Selling indulgences were where you could pay money so that you didn't have to go to hell. What? You know, you could pay money to get your family out of hell. I mean, Martin Luther's going, where's that in Scripture? You know, I didn't see that anywhere. I mean, the gospel is for all people, regardless of socioeconomic status. I mean, you're poor, you're rich. It's all us coming to Christ. It was about works theology back then. You know, what you do to earn your way to heaven. And Martin Luther was like, no, 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 it's by grace. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. It is by grace that we've been saved through faith. It's a gift of God, not by works, lest no man should boast. 
It became about infant baptism. Uh, maybe you're here today, you were baptized as an infant. That's great. We call that family dedication. But, but baptism follows your salvation experience. Baptism is your decision to follow Jesus. Jesus was dedicated as a baby, but, but you know what? He was baptized at the age of 30. And at some point, you say, hey, it's not my parents' decision, it's my decision to follow. Or praying to Mary or to the saints, it was like, that, that doesn't line up, you know? I mean, icons, where is that? And so Martin Luther said, it comes back to Scripture. And you and I, in our lives, we have been blessed, but we have the Word. But it always comes back to, what does God say? How am I called to live? So that's why we teach from the scriptures on Sunday morning or in small groups. We want you in your daily step to read the word of God because that's how we grow. That's how we learn. This is the foundation for the church. And here's number three that's so important. In the Bible, God's word is the guide for our daily lives. It's our guide for our daily lives. I love how he says to, to Titus in chapter two, verse one, you must teach what is in accord with sound doctrine. He said, you gotta teach the word, you know? And I want to encourage you or challenge you, if, if, if you're a teacher, you're leading a small group, you're leading a children's ministry, you're a student, or you're, you're leading in a, in a Bible study at your workplace or whatever, always come back to the Word. Because it tells us in Psalm 119, 105, it says, Your Word, O Lord, is a lamp unto my feet. Your Word, O Lord, is a light unto my path. You want to know where God wants you to go in life? You want to know the decisions that God wants you to make? Right here. Listen to Psalm 19. He tells us this. He says, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. Have you ever been in just a dark place and things are hard and they're difficult and you come to God's word and you just dive into the Psalms and you start to read and you're like, Oh, thank you, God. I needed that. I needed that. It revives the soul. Maybe you're here today and you're in a tough place. You're in a hard time in life. And God says, Here's my word. It says, hey, the statues of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. You want to be wise? You want to make good decisions? The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. I love that. I love that our God is a God of joy. <laughs> I love that when we come and we reorder our lives around God's word and we come to worship and many times we leave, we're just like, yes, praise God. You know, that God is a God of joy. Hey, the commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. God just gives us a greater vision. He says, this world, it's not all that it is, you know? There's more to the materialism. There's more than all this stuff here. There's a God who loves you. And the, the ordinance of the Lord, they are more precious than gold, than pure gold. And God has said over and over again, this is the guide for your life. This is your nourishment. This is how I want you to live. You remember being in middle school and, and writing notes like love letters? You remember this? You remember you would write like things and you would take time and you would get your paper out. You were like, I like them so much. They're amazing. And, and you would spend so much time trying to pick out the right word. You remember this? You're like, I love, oh, I can't say that. You know, mark that through. I like, ah, uh, that's not, I don't know if that's strong enough. I, you know, think you're great, you know. And so you go through every word was important in that love letter, right? I mean, every word was essential because you knew they were reading it and you were like, how are they going to take this? I hope they like me as much as I like them. And this is, uh, and your whole heart is laid on the line. You, you know what this is? 
this is God's love letter to you. It really is. I mean, in the front of your Bible, you could write, To Jeff, love God. You know? Because God loves you so much. And every word is precise. Every word has significance. Every phrase has meaning. And every word is meant to lead you to the God of all creation. The God who knit you together in your mother's womb. The God who knows every hair on your head. The God who has a plan and a purpose for your life. Every word. Because God loves you that much. A few years ago, it was not long after we had planted Rolling Hills and we had just started. And we had a guy who was one of the leaders in our church and he was in his early 40s. And on Christmas Eve, he was a doctor at uh, Williamson Medical and he wasn't feeling good. And he went in and he ran some tests on himself and he found out he was eaten up with cancer. And I'll never forget that. I mean, amazing husband, amazing father. And I would go over to his house and we would sit on his bed and, and he would say... Jeff, here's my Bible. Hey, read this passage. So I go, okay. So we read this passage. He goes, what about this passage? Okay. And we would just sit there and read the Word of God together. Here he is going through chemo treatment and everything. It was such an aggressive form of cancer. And he read and he said, you know what? I, I believe I need to be baptized. Here I am in my 40s, but, but when I was a child, you know, I was baptized. And, and it was great. I'm, I'm saved. I've been saved this whole time, but I want to be baptized. And I'll never forget, you know. As a church, this young church, small church, we all gathered around. We had a horse trough out in the parking lot of the movie theater, you know, and we baptized him right there. And I just watched him. I watched his last days just hanging on to every word of Scripture. His funeral was a celebration, I got to tell you. His place was packed. So many people there. And everybody just listening to the Word of God. And I've seen that every time. I, I, I did a funeral just a week ago. And, and the lady who called me to do her mom's funeral, and, and this lady said, you know, uh, my grandmother had a Bible. It's been in our family for, for over 100 years. Can, can, you read, can you read from the Bible? And this lady, they haven't been active in church, and, but we just sat there, we, we started reading God's word, and I'm looking at her grandmother's Bible, and there's underlines everywhere, and there's notes in there, and I'm thinking, this is your family, this is your history. Yeah, I, I do funerals, and nobody ever says, hey, Jeff, can you read the stock market quotes? Hey, can, can you read what's going on in the sports world, because I want to know, hey, can, can you tell me what sales are happening over there at, you know, Macy's today? No. And those things are fine and well and good, but when you stand there on the brink of eternity, what do you want? You want the Word of God. You want the power. You want the truth. You want the love. You want people around you who are going to say, this is God. And He is present. And He loves me. And He loves us. I don't know where you are in life. I don't. Sometimes we say, well, I'm too busy. I don't have time to read the Bible. I'm too, too busy. Really? I almost think we're too busy not to read the Bible. But somehow that we can take a daily step. Somehow that we can say, hey, I want to read. I want to grow deeper. If you're here today and you don't have a Bible, let, let me tell you, we will give you one for free. 
out in the gallery, we have that information center. We would love for you to go there. We will hand you a Bible. Put your name in it. Put the date in it. Hold on to it. If you don't have a family Bible, I want to encourage you, you know, if you're a grandparent or, or if you're a parent, you know, have a Bible that's your family that you can pass down through the generations. There's a couple in our church who are grandparents, and they each took their own Bible for their grandkids, and they're reading through the Bible, and they're underlining things, and they're writing notes so that they can pass them on, and they can hand them the scriptures. I think, what a legacy. It's powerful. Maybe you're here today, and you don't have a relationship with God. And you're searching and you're seeking. I'm so glad you're here. And I want to tell you today that it's not about you being good. It's about you knowing Jesus. That Christ has done it all. He's paid the price for you. And maybe right where you sit today, just saying, God, I give up. I want you in my life. I want you to be the Lord of my heart. Maybe for you, maybe it's baptism. Or maybe for you, it's just saying, I want to know Jesus Right now, I just want to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes for a moment, wherever you are. Maybe you're watching online today and you're at home. But all across this place, I just pray right now. Where are you in relation to God's word? Are you growing in the word? Do you know the word? Where are you in relationship with God and your faith? Father God, all across this room, prayers are going up to you. And God, it doesn't confuse you in the slightest. You are a God of grace. You're a God who is a personal God. You hear the cries of our heart. God, everything is laid bare before you. <laughs> You know our sins, you know our mistakes, and yet, God, you love us. And Father, I thank you today that your word is true. I thank you today that you've given us your word so that we know how to live. That you didn't just say, hey, good luck, figure it out. That, God, you entrusted your word. I thank you for people who've gone on before us for generations who have laid down their lives so that we could study and know the word. And I pray today, God, that you would... Give us a hunger for truth. And a society that seems more and more secular, Father, that you would give us a hunger to know you and to grow deeper in our relationship with you. I pray today for people who are here who don't have a relationship with you that today would be a day of salvation. I pray today for, for those of us here, maybe who've known the word because we grew up in a Christian home, that God, you would fan it into flame and that we would pass on what you have taught us. Father, we have so far to go, but we thank you that you're a God who draws us to yourself and who wraps your arms around us and who says, I love you. Thank you, God, for being a God of grace and a God of love and a God of joy. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Amen.